Take your Bibles and join me, please, in Ephesians chapter 5. We'll continue our Wednesday night series through Ephesians. And we'll begin by reading verses 1 through 10. Ephesians chapter 5, beginning in verse 1, the Bible says, Be ye therefore followers of God as dear children, and walk in love as Christ also hath loved us, and hath given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. But fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not be once named among you as become as saints, neither filthiness nor foolish talking nor jesting, which are not convenient, but rather giving of thanks. For this ye know, that no whoremonger nor unclean person nor covetous man who is an idolater have any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no man deceive you with vain words, for because of these things cometh the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. Be not ye therefore partakers with them, for ye were sometimes darkness, but now are ye light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness and righteousness and truth, proving what is acceptable unto the Lord. And so just a quick recap of what we've considered over the last two messages from this chapter as we get started tonight. In verse 1, we've seen that we're to be followers of God or imitators of God. And um, at the end of chapter 4, we really find what it is we ought to be imitating, and that is forgiveness, forgiving one another even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. And so we ought to mimic God's forgiveness because God's forgiven us. Amen. And then in verse 2, we saw that we are to demonstrate the sacrificial love that Christ gave to us when he offered himself a sacrifice um, that we might be reconciled to God through his blood. And we have to walk in love. It's, It's a choice. It's a way of life. And it's important that we learn to be followers of God, that we learn to walk in the love of Christ because that's how we're going to find victory over the sins not even just the sins listed here, but in general, that's how we get victory. Once we realize how much Christ has done for us, that should motivate us. Uh, really, the emphasis last week was what the Apostle Paul said, the love of Christ constraineth me. And once we understand who we, are, who we were before Christ, who we can be without Christ, understand that He loved us anyway despite our wickedness, and that we can be forgiven and have a relationship with God. When we understand all this, it should motivate us to stay away from these uh, sins that have been listed. That's how we're going to get victory. And the reason why we need victory is because they're not becoming of saints. That's what we read. And it's, it's, and also those things that are not convenient, the Bible says. They're not fitting. They're, it's not how saints ought to behave or speak. And so it ought to motivate us how Christ loved us to live for God. It should constrain us to come apart from the world, to be separate, to live holy lives. We understand how deeply, uh, when we understand how deeply Christ loved us, we'll love Him more. Remember, the Bible teaches that those who are forgiven much will love much. And I believe a large part of the problem in Christianity is a lot of people don't see themselves as being that bad as needing the full extent of Christ's love. And yet when we understand that we were just as wicked and we understand that God still loved us 
And, and when we understand the extent of our weakness, wickedness, that we were born at enmity with God and we didn't deserve God, and when we start understanding that as we grow in that, the more that you realize you've been forgiven, the more you'll love. And so I think you can tell right away based upon, are you serving God? Peter, do you love me? Go and feed my sheep. Um, you can tell based on how much you love Christ. And, and so whether or not you're serving him, whether or not you understand how wicked you were uh, and all that, h- how much does it motivate you in your life to live for God? So let's begin tonight by taking note of the severity of sin in verses 5 and 6. For this ye know that no whoremonger, nor unclean person, nor covetous man who is an idolater hath any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no man deceive you with vain words, for because of these things cometh the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. These two verses, we have to take them together. We cannot just take verse 5 out of context and let it stand alone. The sins listed here basically mirror the sins that were listed in verse 3. Both mention uncleanness. Both mention covetousness. But in the place of fornication, we read whoremonger. The biggest difference there is, uh, is that a whoremonger is one who sells their body. Fornication may be a sexual sin where there is no uh, exchange of money involved. A whoremonger is one who prostitutes their body. And, and we see that those who are a whoremonger, unclean or covetous, who is an idolater, hath no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of his God. Now, real quick, this is not saying that there are two different kingdoms, as some try to make it to be. It's not a kingdom of Christ and a kingdom of God, but it's one kingdom that we enter through Christ through his blood. Um, Now, God's kingdom, it is pure. It is holy. It is sinless. And as a result of that, we really should kind of long for that day when we are a part of that kingdom and that our sinfulness will no longer uh, be a part of us. We will no longer disappoint our Savior. The Bible says in Revelation 21, 27, And there shall in no wise enter into it anything that defileth, neither whatsoever worketh abomination or maketh a lie, but they which are written in the Lamb's book of life. And so the time when sin will be no more. Hallelujah. Uh, Nothing or no one is going to be allowed to enter which will defile the kingdom. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 verses 9 and 10 say, Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. What do we do with these list of sins? Because the Bible is telling us those who commit these things cannot enter the kingdom. That's why we can't just yank verse 5 out and make it to stand alone. It has to be in context with what's being discussed here. 
with these lists of these sins, we find that the penalty is the wrath of God. If we're not allowed to inherit the kingdom, then we're going to experience the second death. And so this is very serious, this issue of sin. But, but what do we do with this? Because we know that saved people have and will commit these sins. And the problem becomes, those, the Bible says those who commit those things will experience the wrath of God, but yet we also know that a saved person is not appointed unto God's wrath. Everybody with me on why we need to make sure we're understanding all this. So how do we reconcile all this that uh, we read here without seemingly justifying our sinfulness? Well, we know God saved Rahab, who was a harlot. We could put it in the context of a whoremonger. But she was still savable, amen, despite her sinfulness. Jesus looked at the woman taken in adultery and said, uh, Neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. And so clearly one can have committed these things in the past, be forgiven and enter the kingdom. We all see that, right? Um, Clearly that's the case. But we also know none of us are perfect after salvation. We, We know that David was a saved man when he had an affair with Bathsheba. And for those who think you're better than David, Jesus made the qualification this. If you look upon a woman to lust after her, then you've committed adultery with her already in your heart. And I'll bet all of us, after our salvation, have experienced uncleanness and covetousness. And while we're not excusing our sinfulness tonight... We, we understand that even during those times, our standing before God was secure. Despite our wickedness and our sinfulness in that act, we still would inherit the kingdom. Because that had nothing to do with us. That was all Christ. And so how come this verse says those who commit these sins cannot enter the kingdom? I believe the the first key to understanding what's being said here is that little phrase in verse 5 that says, who is an idolater? Meaning that God is not their God, that Christ is not their Lord. It doesn't strictly mean that they have bowed their knee to a false God, some statue or something like that, though it can certainly mean that. Um, But the context is those who have made their flesh their God. Instead of living for God, these are those who have chosen to worship their sinfulness. There's no shame in the whoremongering. There's no shame in being unclean. There's no shame in coveting. These have now become their idols. Who is an idolater? And so what it's saying is, for these whoremongers, for these unclean, for these covetous, who is idol- those who are idolaters in that? Does this make sense when I'm, where I'm trying to go here? Um, and, and so uh, there, there is no shame at all in that. Um, instead of living for God, they're living for self. They have wholly given themselves over to this lifestyle. 
It's setting our affections on the things of the earth. And, and many will look at those three things listed there and say that it's talking about the love of money. That's why somebody would prostitute themselves. That's why somebody would be unclean in their business dealings. That's why somebody would be covetousness or greedy is because of the love of money. And that certainly fits, but I believe it goes well beyond all that. It's the complete denial of God in the pursuit of what this world has to offer. It's the rejection of God in His Christ. It's the willful pursuit of sin over the pursuit of God. These are those who will not enter the kingdom of God because they've never been saved to begin with. Now, I want you to understand, they can be. They just choose to reject Christ. Because that's now their idol. How do we know verse 5 is speaking of the lost? And listen, I know people struggle with this because we all have baggage. How, How is it that the Bible says that a liar can't enter the kingdom of heaven? I know I've told a lie. And so it's one of those things that I know some people do struggle with. How do we know verse 5 is speaking of the lost? Because verse 6 says, For because of these things cometh the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. And we know that the wrath of God is reserved for those who don't know Christ. Those who are not God's children. We cannot allow Scripture to contradict itself. But it goes beyond that because it says the children of disobedience. This word for disobedience isn't just violating a commandment, but it is disobedience in unbelief. The the Greek word is used seven times, and four of those times it is translated to the English word unbelief. The children of unbelief, the children of disobedience. These are those who have disobeyed the gospel. Um, it's, It's disobedience of the gospel and understanding their great need of it. Because in that idolatrous state, there is no understanding of the severity of the sin and that they are really that bad as to deserve the wrath of God. I've talked to saved people that have committed these acts and they'll tell you that they don't deserve a thing. That God's been way too good to them. I probably, that probably came out a little bit wrong. They understand that they do deserve the wrath of God, but that God's grace has been sufficient. For some reason, mankind likes to rack and stack sin. They come up with these lists that will rank the degree of sinfulness for various offenses. And why do they do this? Because they have become their own little gods who is an idolater. Murder's bad, but a little white lie every now and again isn't so bad. We, we make degrees. Um, and, and to some extent, there's some truth to some of that, right? Uh, I'm not going to be as mad at somebody who lied to me as somebody who killed somebody I know. So we understand where that mindset comes from. And, and so we come up with these different lists. Um, and, and I believe because we like to come up with these different degrees, I believe that's why the Bible does just come out and say all liars will have their part in the lake of fire. Because we come from the womb speaking lies. So that covers all of us. Somebody might say, well, I never killed anybody. Well, that may be true, but I bet you've lied. I know you've lied. Amen. I worked with a man um, who claimed to be saved, and he was a womanizer. And he would tell you, he would understand the mindset that rape is bad, 
But so long as a woman consents, it's okay. And so this was a man who went to church regularly. Um, in his mind, it'd be, it would never be okay to force a woman, but it'd be okay so long as both parties were consenting. And so there was a lot of fornicating taking place. And so I hope you understand what I'm trying to highlight. I'm simply saying that we cannot be deceived. Well, well look, how, look how Paul puts it there at the beginning of verse 6. Let no man deceive you with vain words. We can't be deceived by a teaching that will somehow justify a sin, some sort of sinfulness. Um, there are those who are going to try to tell you that it's okay so long as it isn't so bad, um, that it doesn't cross a certain line that it isn't too bad. And this is what the enemy does. This is what the enemy will try to do to you. This is what Satan did with Eve in the Garden of Eden. In his subtlety, he said to Eve, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden. And Eve said, Well, we can eat of all but one of the trees. And, and one of those trees we can't even touch. And in that, she had been taught wrong by her husband. But that's a sermon for another time. I don't have time to get into all that. And anyway, she said the same, because by the way, they, God never said not to touch it. He just said not to eat from it. That's what he told Adam. Adam just told Eve the wrong thing, trying to get her to not even mess with the thing. Caused all kind of problems. Anyway, that's family camp stuff. Amen. So she said to Satan, if I mess with that one tree, then I'll die. And Satan said, ye shall not surely die. Vain words. For God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. And he was using vain words. He wanted to justify sinfulness. Um, vain words to convince her it's not going to be that bad. And so she coveted after the fruit of the tree. It was pleasant to the eyes. It was desire to make one wise. And, and worst of all is it gave the idea that I can be a god. She was idolatrous. And I, I want to tell you tonight, if you want to justify sinfulness, then Satan will put somebody in your path that will give you the justification you're looking for. To give you the sense that it isn't that bad. Or that it won't end up that bad after it comes to light. And one who will convince you that it'll be okay to excuse sin. The lost are being deceived that because of their sinfulness, the wrath of God will not come upon them. They're being deceived. Satan, the enemy is using vain words. But this verse is clear that because of these sins, the wrath of God will be upon the lost. Excuse me. And because they are deceived, they continue in disobedience and unbelief. And really what they do is they make light of that which will bring the wrath of God upon them. I'm sure some of you have worked with those kind of folks. I remember those that I worked with who would always say, you know, when I get to hell, we're going to party. Making light of the wrath of God. Making light of the fact that the sin is that severe against deity. And because they are deceived, they continue in disobedience, continue in unbelief. And I wonder if there's anyone here who is accepting excuses for why sin is okay for you. 
Is there anyone here who might even be lost? And you've managed to convince yourself that God is somehow going to have this scale up in heaven to weigh your good against your bad, and as long as your good comes out heavier, you're going to enter in. And, and really what you're, you're banking on is that your sin isn't that bad. I've got to tell you that you, you have an appointment. If you're lost, you have an appointment to receive the wrath of God. And the only way to escape the wrath of God for all eternity is to give yourself to Christ. Now, I want you to look at the command in verse 7. It says, Be not ye therefore partakers with them. The instruction is not to share in the sins of the lost. But I believe it's also this, that we are not to be partakers of their false doctrine, which is teaching it's okay. Don't be partakers with them. Don't, Don't get caught up in a doctrine that justifies sinfulness. Don't encourage the sin. Don't excuse the sin. Don't engage in the sin. But also, don't get caught up in the teaching which says these things are okay. And I said last week, there are churches which overlook certain transgressions because they don't want to offend. And some churches have just stopped preaching against sin because they don't want to offend. And we've gotten to the place where you can no longer trust the name on the door. I could tell you of independent Baptist churches which have harbored gross immorality, things that I wouldn't even mention from the pulpit because I wouldn't even want it to enter your ears. I I will tell you of a Baptist church where the pastor thought, I'll be happier if I could marry this deacon's wife. And the deacon thought, I'll be happier if I could marry the pastor's wife and so they all got divorced, married the others. He's still the pastor. He's still a deacon. And most of the church is okay with it. When in reality, that church should have ran both of those scoundrels out of there. Or the church should have imploded. But the reason that didn't happen is because the doctrine was accepted, the vain words were accepted, that that kind of thing was okay. When conversations come up in the workplace, when someone tries to justify sinfulness, speak up against that false doctrine. I'm thankful that I've had 21 years of active service behind me so that I can tell you that I know what that's like. I haven't just been in the ministry. I'm not naive to what is said out there, and I can tell you that it's very uncomfortable to do so, but you have to do so. You don't have to browbeat. You don't have to be ugly. But speak up. Speak up. And nowadays, I have to warn that even if you hear somebody within the church speaking up against or trying to justify some kind of a sin... Now you've got to speak up against people in the church. Because people say things like, well, I know you just had to do what you had to do. Where's that at in the Bible? People will justify all kinds of sinfulness 
so long as they're not confronted with the Word of God. Look at verse 8. It says, For ye were sometimes darkness, but now are ye light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. So why do we not partake with them? Why do we speak up for what is right? Why do we confront sinners? Why do we proclaim the Word of God? Because in the Lord, we are the lights of the world. We are to shine in the midst of a perverse and dark generation. And we were once in darkness. We who are saved, we were once lost, right? Because you're not getting saved until you got lost. And, and, And we understand what that's about. We were once in darkness, but now are we in the light, and we ought to walk as children of the light. In other words, we need to live like we're God's children. And when we do that, it lights up the sinfulness of those who are corrupt. When we walk as children of light. Uh, children of light. And, and when we consider this thought, continuing into verse 9 here, then it's linked to walking in the Spirit, for it says, For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness and righteousness and truth. And Galatians 5.25 tells us that if we live in the Spirit, then we are to also walk in the Spirit. And when we walk in the Spirit, we're going to manifest goodness, righteousness, and truth. And by walking in the Spirit in the midst of the children of darkness, we shine forth that which they need to see and hear. Verse 5, it it spoke of whoremongers and, and unclean purses and covetous persons. And this is the contrast to those in verse 9. Instead of selling our bodies, we ought to live good, which also means virtuous. Instead of being unclean, we need to live righteous lives. Uh, Instead of coveting in, in greed, even if it means doing so through deceit, we are to live in truth. And then notice in verse 10 that what this will do is it will prove what is, he, uh, what is acceptable unto the Lord. Proving what is acceptable unto the Lord. We prove that the doctrine which seeks to justify sin is a false doctrine when we walk in the Spirit, when we walk as children of light. And we also prove to ourselves what is acceptable unto the Lord. Listen now, I want you to get this. Sometimes people will come up and they'll ask me, is this particular activity okay for me to participate in? But when you're walking in the Spirit, then you don't need a preacher to tell you whether that's right or wrong. You won't need that because when you're walking in the Spirit, you prove what is acceptable unto the Lord. And then you don't have to ask me, is it okay to go see that movie? Amen. Romans 12, 1 and 2. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And so, if you will live the right way by presenting your body a living sacrifice to God, you're not going to have any doubt as to what is good and acceptable and perfect concerning the will of God. You're not going to doubt whether or not this is okay or that's okay. 
you're not going to have to rack and stack your list. You're not going to have to have your pros and your cons. You're not going to, you're going to know because you're walking in the spirit. And the Bible says that the spirit will not guide us into any falsehood, any false doctrine, but he'll guide us into truth. And once we start doing that, we don't struggle with, can I do this? Can I do that? You won't try to justify your sinfulness. Romans 14, verses 17 and 18 say, For the kingdom of God is not meat and drink. Remember, we started this almost tonight about those who have no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ. This verse says that the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. For he that in these things serveth Christ is acceptable to God and approved of men. I believe much of this that we're covering is very simple. Just walk in the Spirit. Just walk as children of light. By walking as children of light, your light will shine. It will reveal the wickedness of the world. And if you walk as children of light, you're going to prove what is acceptable to God. You won't have to sit there and go, well... I'm not getting drunk. I mean, I'm just having a little bit of alcohol. You know, I, I, I'm, not, I'm not getting stoned. We, we don't have to start justifying that. Well, you know, I, I didn't actually go see the woman. It was just a chat room. You see how we try to justify things? And we, and we try to say it's okay. But when we walk as children of light, man, it, it, everything becomes... Exp- we, we, we know what it's about. Are you walking as children of light tonight? Or are you being deceived by vain words and false doctrines? Maybe you're not even a child of the light. And you know the wrath of God is awaiting you in the lake of fire known as the second death. You need to get that right tonight. For those of us who know the Lord, I hope we can leave out of here tonight walking as children of light. Just walk as children of light and you'll know what's right and what's wrong. Walk in the love of Christ and you'll be motivated to not commit these sins. So it's really quite simple. But man, we make it hard to practice, don't we? Let's pray. Father, we love you tonight. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the challenge that you've given us tonight to walk as children of light. And so, God, help us to abstain from these things and then also help us as we walk in the Spirit. Lord, we know that if we'll do that, we can prove what is acceptable unto you and we don't have to question or excuse or justify. Lord, we'll know very clearly what it is we ought to do. And so, God, just help us to be honest with you, I pray. Help us to uh, manifest your truth out there that we would drown out the false doctrine, the false teaching that it's not that bad. But Lord, we know it is. And so help us to be lights, help us to witness. We ask it for Christ's sake. Amen.